Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in Critical Theory. On this episode, I'm talking to Fahana Sheikh about her new book, From Imposter to Impact, Arts Leadership in the 21st Century. Fahana is a writer and, and publisher and has written this book, I, I guess, as a kind of um, reflection, but also a guide on issues of arts leadership. So welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, no, th- thanks for coming on and, and thanks for writing this book, which is both, I guess, the product of a research project about arts leadership, but is also a, quite a, a sort of personal reflection on, on your journey to being an arts leader. And it'd be great to know a little bit actually about um, where you've come to the arts from and, and, and how the book has, has kind of uh, summarised your career. That's a great question. Um, so I have always been a writer ever since I was young. Um, and I have to admit that I've never really considered myself to be an arts leader. So I am very interested in community and connecting with other writers. And I think I just um, came to this in a very organic way. So a lot of my work and projects are about setting up little mini communities around things that I'm personally interested in. And these projects have kind of put me in a leadership role but I never really saw that until I was, you know, until I joined the Care of Cultural Leadership Programme itself. And it gave me a chance to really take time out because I think when you're a writer, you spend a lot of time on your own. You develop projects, um, you bring people together, but also you don't necessarily, well, I never really saw what sort of things I was doing. So I was very focused and committed on my writing and bringing people together, but not necessarily understanding where I was going as a leader and what this actually meant. So the Curve Cultural Leadership Programme gave me a chance to just pause and reflect. Um, And I think spending two years on a programme really makes you think about what arts leadership is, especially when it's branded like that. Um, and you don't necessarily feel like you are a leader. That, uh, I guess, is is a kind of signal or or like a sign of, of one of the big ideas in the book, which is this idea about imposter syndrome and kind of, yeah, uh, not feeling like or not maybe picturing your, yourself as a leader. And I guess it'd be really interesting and, and quite useful as a frame for the book to know a bit about both what the idea is, but also, I guess, your kind of experience of it. I mean, you, you mentioned that kind of a little bit already as well. Yeah, so, okay, so the research that was undertaken, which is mentioned, discussed in the book very briefly, um, as a way of kind of examining my own feelings about this whole leadership thing, um, talks about, you know, initially women who were hugely successful but never felt that, they could actually see those achievements for what they were. So they didn't recognise their own talent and always felt 
perhaps that they weren't, um, you know, they didn't own. I, I keep getting told you have to own it. And that's a really interesting frame, you know, for imposter syndrome, because I think you kind of feel like you don't necessarily belong in that space or that you're doing something that you've hoodwinked people, basically, and that you're not really who they think you are. So it's quite an odd experience and a strange feeling. And I have to admit, I think I felt it in different points in my career, but being part of a cohort of seven cultural leadership um, leaders, sorry, really brought that out. And it made me kind of take a step back and examine where these feelings were coming from. That's really interesting because the other thing, I guess, um, that frames the book um, away from the sort of formal things about uh, the cultural leadership program um, is that sense of reflection on you um, as a mother as well, um, which I, I guess is sort of slightly strange in a way because we often don't see that discussed with arts leadership at all, other than the kind of cliched, you know, can women have it all uh, sort of, of discussions. And it'd be interesting to know a bit about how that interacted with that sense of kind of, yeah, you know, should you be there? Are you in place? How do you, as you say, how do you own it? Yeah, you know, I don't think I understood how important the experience of being a mother had actually sort of, you know, I maybe I did kind of resent it in some aspect. You know, I was a very, I was a very hands-on mum, stayed at home, and yes, writing and setting up your own publishing company, you can do that from home. But in a sense, it does make you, it does cut you off from the world. And I think for a long time, I didn't really understand the skills and the benefits of motherhood itself. And when I was in that initial interview with, um, you know, the panel on why I wanted to be on this leadership program, they asked me a question that was, you know, give an example where you are a leader. And that was quite difficult for me to answer, but I could only point back to motherhood because it was the only one space where I felt like I was totally responsible. Um, and I think we don't actually discuss it. And if we do, you're right. It's in that kind of very, you know, oh, is she, you know, does she want everything or can a woman have everything? It's never sort of, it never really plays out in the way that you don't, and I talk about this in the book, you don't actually realise all the skills that you're learning, um, you know, looking after two people <laughs> is really difficult. And, you know, when you're in that position, you are the only responsible person and they do, you know, it is a kind of life and death thing and you are not only totally responsible, but you have a lot of, I suppose, influence. And that's one of the things that helped me reflect on the whole, you know, my whole career and how motherhood had played out. It sounds really strange. It does, even to me as I'm saying it back to you. Um, but I think... When you take a moment to assess who you are as a person, I don't think I could differentiate myself from being a mum 
um, because I've been a mum for most of my adult life. So I think it came back to me, for, um, to, to the things that I was being introduced um, on the programme to. So things like authentic leadership and who I was and what my values were. Um, so in a sense, it wasn't something that I think I see in arts leadership. Um, and I think it wasn't even until I met Claire Connor and she was talking about her experiences of being a mum and how challenging it is. And I went away from that particular interview and I was just like, oh, my God, you know, I've never really thought about it in that way and how positive it is, but also how challenging it is and all the other things that you then have to factor in um, because your decisions are based around other people that you love. You mentioned Claire Connor, and that gives quite a nice indication of, of I guess, the kind of structure and, and form of the book, which is, um, is it nine overall kind of case studies of individuals who are arts leaders, which then pick up on various different themes. And, you know, there are lots and lots of different uh, themes we, we, we could talk about. And, and I guess, yeah, we might come back to Claire because she was really important when she talked about networks. But if, if I've understood the book correctly, um, it's Sarah Weir, who is kind of like really, really influential um, in terms of your development as an arts leader, both in terms actually of kind of um, setting the title of the book and giving you the, the the idea for that, and also talking you through the the importance of things like mentoring um, and, and, you know, having a sort of supportive uh, person to, to, to work with. Yeah, no, I think um, Sarah was really key. So Sarah Weir is CEO of the Design Council. Um, and as part of the programme, each of the leaders were assigned a mentor. I think it was for about the first, I think we had about six sessions, but they also delivered a masterclass. Um, and I think when I first met Sarah, it was almost really interesting because she presented herself as a very kind of you know she talked about her flaws and not really feeling um like whether she could be good enough to deliver this masterclass and I was just sort of like bemused by it all because I was like hang on you know you worked on the London Olympics bid and she'd done all these amazing things and yet here you are presenting quite a different side of yourself to us who we you know we are we are we were a cohort of black asian minority ethnic um arts leaders so coming to this kind of program with all sorts of you know um feelings of inadequacy in some respects as well like whether we could actually you know step up and be the leaders that we had chosen to be on the program um and sarah's you know so I, I went away after that masterclass and I did sort of have a bit of a moment to think that actually, does it ever go away? Does this feeling of imposter syndrome or of not ever being quite good enough go away? And then it just turned out that Sarah ended up being my mentor. Um, and I think that was about six months later. And we worked together quite closely on this idea of imposter syndrome. Um, and how we aren't, we are not necessarily um, the visions that other people see us to be. We don't accept those 
I don't know, labels or what, you know, we aren't, we can be vulnerable, but we don't necessarily have to show that to the world all the time. And especially when you're in a leadership position, you know, there is this aspect of coming to it with with being authentic, but also having a bit of a distance. So you can you can make those all important decisions that you have to make. And obviously Sarah in her position talked through some of the examples and the tough decisions that she made in her career um, and how she handled those. And she talks about that at length in the book. And I just found it really heartwarming that she was willing to share those things with me um, and not have an ego about it. So that was really helpful to me to understand that I think sometimes we see people in leadership positions as, you know, these kind of demigods or people who are not vulnerable, but they actually are. I guess actually um, Farouk Chowdhury uh, and Pruskeen were, were kind of like that, you know, Farouk sort of talking through ideas about ambition, taking risks, the importance of failure, uh, and then Pru's story being about the kind of non-linear or, uh, you know, non-kind of traditional career path that had led her um, to be a really successful kind of senior arts leader. Yeah, so I think... Farouk for me is probably very sort of when we met him he was very much the unconventional arts leader he hadn't you know he hadn't done a presentation and he was like oh you know what guys I'm not really sure what to say here um and he talked about his life and how he'd got kicked out of school and there was already I think for me um things that I felt like, ooh, I could really resonate with his story um, and how he wasn't, you know, he wasn't this kind of perfect model, if you like. Um, so it was really interesting to talk to him about ambition and taking risks. But we ended up talking a lot about failure, which I found quite interesting because I think when you are a writer, you do spend a lot of time with you know, making lots of false starts with your work. Um, and he was very much, I felt like I was very much in tune with his creative thinking in terms of loving process rather than outcomes and finding a way through, you know, by experimenting and really being playful. So I think for Farouk, what I got from Farouk in terms of not only being a leader, but also just your approach to creativity is one that is not necessarily um, tied to outcomes. You know, you could have a vision and you have to kind of follow it. It sounds a bit feels, you know, field of dreams, you know, but it, yeah, it was just incredible to have that conversation with him. And I think it was definitely one of the interviews that really st stuck Um especially when I was like, I'm not sure I can even finish this book. <laughs> um, and then with Prue, Prue is, you know, she has been around in the arts for a very long time. And I think having her kind of wisdom and her voice in the book is really important because she offers a different, she, 
you know, she talks about, I think she said to me when I interviewed her, look, you know, I am a woman in my 70s, so I can speak to you about how it was back then. But I think that angle, again, you know, you're right in the sense that their journeys are quite similar because they aren't, you know, they they aren't so straightforward. It wasn't, I did this, this and this, and that's how I became an arts leader. It was almost like this happened, got a bit messy. I was thrown in at the deep end. I really messed up, but I got through it. And I think we need to hear those stories and we don't necessarily always hear those stories or they're not certainly presented to us in the way that they should be. You know, everything's kind of sugar-coated, I think, sometimes. Um, and often, especially in this kind of age of social media and we're looking at LinkedIn profiles of other people, um, we don't necessarily see the messiness of the arts as a career. We sort of see it as job titles. And, you know, this was an opportunity to get away from that. I mean, what one really clear example of, I guess, the kind of sugarcoating has been questions or actually struggles over diversity in the arts. Uh, and Justine Thurman kind of talked to you quite, quite a lot about this, reflecting on what, I guess diversity kind of means uh, in the arts, both in terms of maybe its positives and also its its negatives as well. And I thought that chapter was both really kind of, you know, well-timed because of where debates are, uh, both in Britain, America and in other countries about diversity in the arts. But also, as you've kind of gestured towards, it wasn't a kind of sugar-coated story. No, um, I think, God, I can't remember now whether Justine was, I think she was probably the very, yeah, she certainly was the very first person that I was, I'd arranged to meet. I think she did end up becoming my first interview as well. Um, so Justine is Associate Director of Belgrade Theatre, and she's very much about community arts. And I think all the experiences that she shares in the book are quite interesting because a, it's, it tells us something about the arts. A, there's definitely impetus for change. Um, and I know that Justine has, you know, she talks about a lot of things throughout her career and the champions that she had um, that allowed her to fulfil projects or just pursue projects that um, may not have worked out, but, you know, actually setting up um, youth groups and such like. Um, but I think there was something that troubled me with that conversation, and it was that we hadn't moved on as, you know, the fact that Justine had been doing this for 20 years, and it was like she was this great champion, not only of diversity, but bringing and welcoming different groups to the theatre, which I think is really important because, yes, we can say we need more diverse leaders, but then we also need we need people who understand that theatre can and is for everyone. And I think that's what was really interesting about Justine when she said, um, you know, I don't think theatre is something that I need to give to someone. It's something that they already have. And it's my role to bring that out. And that was really interesting because I think so much of our conversation in the arts often is about let's empower people 
to be creative or artistic or just to engage in the arts. And actually, the reality is it's all around us. And I think we don't question the structures that hold people back from accessing the arts. And I think that conversation really pinpoints um, the systemic failure of the arts to engage beyond a white middle class background um, or population, if you like. I mean, the the thing um, that organisations are going to have to deal with, or indeed have been dealing with, um, is not just, I guess, a kind of a a moral mission to engage uh, better or, you know, a desire to do that, but also the practicalities about funding changes, uh, acting like a business. And Chris Stafford and and Jenny Coombs, and I guess to an extent maybe Fiona Allen's chapter as well, talk about these problems of how you adapt to the way funding has changed, how you kind of, you know, organise yourself to talk about money and acting like a business and being, I guess, kind of, you know, more than just um, a safe organisation that might um apply for arts council funding so it'd be good to know about i guess their sort of advice on arts leadership in a a changing uh funding climate yeah so i think i'll start with jenny coombs um who is joint ceo of the freedom festival in hull and we were very fortunate to have um contact with her over two masterclasses and I think what was really interesting about her is that she again was very similar to Farouk and Prue in a sense where she sort of said look when I first started at Freedom Festival I was just in a room I had no computer it was the yellow pages and a telephone and you know the success of the Freedom Festival I think, again, it's about we need these models or we need to talk about these examples of how people have built sustainable projects that, A, really resonate with the community. So they have kind of diversity at their heart or community at their core, um, but also look beyond uh, public funding for projects. So Jenny was very sort of, you know, just from the off, in all our conversations and then in this interview the importance of sponsorship and going out and networking but also networking beyond the art you know I think um what I got from her is that sometimes we're kind of guilty of having the same conversations among ourselves and what's different about Jenny's approach is you know, if, you know, I think she told us about, which I don't think that made it in the book, but there was an early story that she told us about, you know, just going out and being keynote speaker at pharmaceutical companies. So really bridging the gap and helping businesses understand why the arts are important and why they must invest in the arts um, through things like sponsorship or joint programs and she gives lots of different examples of how that has been successful in Hull and had direct community impact but then also for the organization that is sponsoring that work they actually get a lot back as well but it's about maybe changing how we talk about it and I think Chris Stafford was really good about you know um 
how do we how do we reframe conversations about what the arts can bring to society or what their value is and you know he does say that austerity is never a good thing or cuts are never a good thing for the arts but actually it again brings out this opportunity to have a conversation about why we do what we do and how we can look at that in a more business sense um, and put real value to it because I think that's the other thing maybe it is an arts you know maybe it's a failure of the arts to seem or be set apart from business when in reality the arts organizations are themselves businesses um, and I think Fiona was brilliant in sharing examples of how not only things that can be that you know building audiences certainly but looking at ways of bringing people into the building um so growing communities and growing audiences in that way but then also seeing yourself as a place i suppose of like a catalyst for change in the community and how we can have those conversations and I think she was very much I think Fiona's interview was really interesting because she's she's again one of those people who will never sort of just say oh I did this and this and everything was perfect so she did spend a lot of time talking about failures but having heard of you know Fiona Allen is now the CEO of Birmingham Hippodrome, but she came to, she was all, before that, she was CEO of The Curve, and obviously being part of the Leicester community, I was very aware uh, how much her leadership actually changed things around at The Curve, and how much it was in a financial, you know, trouble, if you like, before she took helm there. So, yeah, it's about embracing new ideas. I think that's what I got um, from all of them. I mean, there's loads more we could talk about. Obviously, you know, there's a kind of question of digital that Marcus Roma talked to you about, uh, Claire Connor, who you'd mentioned already. But but the thing that struck me both in terms of the book and, and also what you said is how sort of keen everybody was to, to sort of say, you know, actually there are loads of things that you don't see in terms of struggles and failures. Um, and I wonder, is that something you, you're kind of hoping the book does in terms of almost sort of not tells the truth, but, you know, kind of lifts the lid on, you know, there will be moments where, you, you know, you almost have kind of like good moments and bad moments. And actually the bad moments can be really useful in terms of developing your, your role as a leader. Yeah. I mean, okay. So this, book was funded by the Arts Patrons Trust, I should say that, and um, it, you know, most of the research was done in the second year of the programme, and I think by then we had literally had masterclasses from people who perhaps did seem untouchable, um, you know, and they, they all had CEO titles, and many of them, yes, they shared some um, stories, 
but not all of them. And it, for me, I felt very confused about actually what the journeys of these people were, the you know, the real journeys. And the book was, in it, you know, it did set out to demystify leadership, not only in practice as it is, but how those people have come into those positions. Just in terms of that sense of, um, yeah, the kind of hidden stories. Honestly, I... I chose nine people that I thought would be interesting case studies, but I don't think I envisaged to have such honest conversations. Um, And I don't know if that was because they were confronted with the opportunity to talk about things that they may not necessarily share in a newspaper interview or a journal. You know, this was a kind of... The approach was very relaxed you know the interviews most of them took um place face to face and there was this kind of warm environment so I think perhaps there was this opportunity again to have very honest conversations about the realities of arts leaders and then it ended up that I was surprised by some of the especially all the the leaders who said they, you know, have themselves suffered or continue to suffer from imposter syndrome. Um, and I don't think it is discussed as much as we think it is. You know, it's only when people, you know, when people see the title of the book, they're like, oh, you know, they start telling their stories. But I don't think it is talked about as much um, as we think. As I say, there's loads more going on in the book and, and I really do recommend it actually to anyone who's, who's interested in uh, these questions of arts leadership and the, the, you know it, it's got I think lessons internationally as well as in, in the UK context and it almost seems a bit unfair to kind of say so what are you doing next you know having poured uh, all that effort into both the leadership development course and doing the book but what are you doing next <laughs> Okay, so I think one of the things that Sarah really got me to focus on was who I was, you know, who was centre to my being um, and what it was that possibly I couldn't change about myself. Um, And I think when you go on to a leadership course, you do come at it with maybe different expectations of where you're going to be at the end of it. But I think what I found was that, or came to realise, was just how important writing was. So yes, it had always helped me make sense of things in the world. And yes, it helped me understand what cultural leadership really was and that perhaps I was a leader. But I think I kind of found a lot of confidence in myself just as a writer. So I have been focusing more on the creative writing um, aspect um and just coming out of my comfort zone more to submit to things um and as a result I've ended up you know being part of competitions or long listed and there's going to be a rehearsed reading of my play next month so things are kind of happening more in a different direction I think But I also think that 
there are projects that I continue to develop. I think I do mention it in the book, but one of the things that I've always been really passionate about is supporting um, emerging voices and writers. And the book gave me an opportunity, I suppose, gave me an opportunity to think about what I was going to do next or what I needed to do next. So I applied for an arts council funding grant and it was a large amount of money and I was successful in that grant. So I'm going to be focusing until next year now on supporting seven black Asian minority ethnic writers um, to take that next step in their writing careers alongside their mentors. Fantastic.